Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Daniel and Alistair and we're going to talk about integrating finance because their company is Integrated Finance and they're helping fintech businesses to get off the ground so they focus on what's really important for the fintech businesses and that is client experience or user experience and they can leave the infrastructure build out which is behind the scenes to Alistair and Daniel. So how do they do it? What's unique about their solution? Let's find out. How are you today, guys? Doing great. Great to be speaking with you. Brilliant. So I always ask, what's your journey? How did you get to where you are today? But I think in your case, let's also clarify, how did you two meet and then decided to go and do some business together? Sure. For the listeners at home, to tell the difference between me and Al, I'm the one with the slightly annoying, nasally half-Irish accent, and Alistair isn't. How did me and Alistair meet? 10, 12 years ago, we, uh, through sheer happenstance, were working at the same company. My job was to make loads of cold calls uh, and get told to go away all day. And if by some lucky instance, someone didn't tell me to go away and I turned them into a customer, Alistair's job was to generate revenue and add value to that customer. From there, we saw a gap in the market in banking and we launched a, a fintech which now you'd call banking as a service called settle go we built that business up did a lot of integrations into some of the main players in bass today to power that fintech and when we exited we decided we'd saw another gap in the market and for those of you who are wondering what that gap in the market was it was integrated finance I see. So Dan and Al, so Dan, you say you are Irish, you have an Irish accent and Al, have you lost it or are you not from Ireland? That's a good question. I'm from the center of England, the Midlands, which means that people from the north of England think I'm southern. People from the south of England think I'm northern and everyone else outside of England can't place where my accent is from. Which explain uh, your question, basically. The Midlands are proud to be. All right, understood. So what's the problem that you're solving? You started to talk about the gap in the market. And let's also try to be realistic. Because if you talk to VC investors, they might say, well, that's a nice problem that you're solving. But is it worth solving? Is it worth our time? Is it worth the money? So let's talk about the problem and the gap in the market that you discovered. The problem that we're trying to solve with integrated finance was the major problem that we experienced when we were building and scaling SettleGo, which was, as Dan described, in the back end of the product, we were connecting to lots of different banks and banking as a service providers. And each one of them had a very different method of connecting to it, whether that be bespoke APIs or legacy connectivity or different workflows about how you send the information to the bank. Um, And what that meant was, as we scaled the number of things that we connected to, 
a lot or the vast majority of our engineering resource got consumed by building and crucially maintaining those integrations to those banks. And it was something really that the customer didn't care about. It just needed to work. But on our side, it was consuming a lot of resource. And we looked when we were working in SettleGo for some business that could be a common infrastructure provider, provide connectivity to all of these institutions, standardize it and allow us to consume it once and once only. That business did not exist. So we wanted to build it ourselves. I see. A lot of people refer to this if you are, if you have a banking background as plumbing or yes. maybe they should talk about cables because it's not really plumbing, but it's cable. So how do you measure the success of an infrastructure provider like yourselves? What makes you stand out versus competition? What makes you successful? Is it that you can put all these pipes into one or they don't break down or you implement it all quickly? Oh, yeah, more cheaply than others. What are the metrics? How do you measure success in your case? I'll quickly answer this from my perspective and then let Dan jump in. But I think one of the aims of our business is really to turn what can be or what is quite a high fixed cost, i.e. most fintechs or transactional banking fintechs build their own back end, which requires a team of engineers and quite a lot, a long time of work to build the product and then scale it as you're going forward, turn that fixed cost into a pay-as-you-grow subscription platform. The reason that we think that we can do that is because most of the infrastructure between transactional banking fintechs is common. It's just not platformed yet. And that is what we're trying to do. So one, we want to standardize the way that we, you can talk to all of the providers which should reduce the cost of building fintechs. And the long-term aim of our business is to allow more fintechs to be built on a yearly basis than exists now. Yeah, and ju just to briefly add to that, you asked what are the metrics, I suppose. From a metric standpoint, who's asking the question? Is it VC trying to measure what a good punt in the market is? Is it, is it sales? It, it, there's a bunch of different metrics, but really, if we're sticking to our vision, where we're trying to accelerate the rate of innovation in financial technology, the key metric for integrated finance's success over the next five years is to what degree do we increase the number of banks entering the market that are solving a specific pain? We're not talking about can we get 10 more Revoluts live? All that's going to do is disincentivize users to put all of their traffic in one place. We really want to see the cost come down to start a fintech so that people can serve smaller subsets of, uh, of communities. We want to see uh, banks that solve migration issues, banks that solve employment in specific industry problems, banks that solve for businesses and e-commerce. That's really the metric that is driving us forwards. Okay, understood. So... You don't only want to make money, you want to make a better world, right, in a sense, and help financial inclusion. Absolutely. Yeah. I think to, to that end, we do track how much revenue our customers are making as well. And that is the top level aim for us to see those businesses making money whilst serving communities. Right. But what about from clients' perspectives? So let's say you have an idea for a fintech that would aim to help all kinds of financial inequalities and then you need to choose with whom you're going to partner 
when you want to build out the financial infrastructure. So what will you tell them saying, apart from that, you are the right cultural match, that uh, you have done this with other clients and uh, look at the performance, do it with us, not with other people? I think the key differentiator with the platform that we're trying to build is that we're agnostic of provider. We want to go wide on providers. And so to your question, when a customer is building a specific product, we want them to choose the best provider for them, not the one that we are integrated to because we have this marketplace of connectivity. They can choose the one that's going to give them the best service and ultimately the the provider that's going to give their customers what they think those customers need. So you are the platform and the integrator of various banking or fintech infrastructure solutions, but not that you build or manufacture one of your own that you're trying to sell, correct? Exactly. Customers will come to us saying, I want to launch a solution that solves for American expats in the UK for example. So we'll break that down and go, okay, they are going to need compelling access to British payment infrastructure, English payment infrastructure. So you want faster payments, sterling accounts. Probably they're going to want to have a compelling US dollar to sterling conversion solution if they're serving migrants from the US. And there are only a limited number of providers in the market that can offer that service. And often it's not all in one, it's not a one-stop shop. So where we really help is we try and understand what our customer needs, introduce them to partners that are the best at what they do, given that subset of needs. And then integrated finance's job is to stitch it all together and bring that product to life. Our job isn't to sell our services above and beyond anyone else's. It's to make sure that the customer has access to the ingredients they need to launch that platform. All right, understood. So how does that work in real life? Just walk me through an example. So people call you or they email you. They say, well, I want to launch this platform in the UK. Uh, how can you help me? And then do you need to have a workshop with them or do they fill in some basic information on your website? How does that initial filter or conversation work? Sure. So, so sometimes people will email, sometimes will contact us, LinkedIn. We get a lot of referrals from the partners that we connect our clients to simply because the time to live is reduced by probably an order of magnitude if integrated finance is doing the implementation. What these providers don't really want to do anymore is deal with very young, hyper capable technical people, but who are new to the world of fintech. And they're going to trip over the same regulatory, technical, commercial hurdles when they do an integration. And that's going to push that time to live from, say, post-contract, three, four months to post-contract, nine, ten months. From a sales guy's perspective, they might even fall off the window within they generate revenue on that signed client. That's how we get customers. But for comedic effect, let's say this particular example came from me doing cold calling and getting told buzz off 99 times. Call number 100, the guy says, yeah, I want to work with integrated finance. So what do we do? The first thing we say is, what are you launching? We detail down the ingredients of what that customer requires. And we ask, have you signed any contracts with any Bass players? If they have, then it's our job. Let's say it's Currency Cloud or Railzer. If they've chosen them, it's our job to manifest the best of 
Currency Cloud and Rails Bank into a single API and interface. And how do we do that? We do a statement and scope of work calls. We usually set up a Slack channel for our engineers and the customer's engineers. On occasion, we'll have a tri-party Slack channel where all three participants say the Bass player, integrated finance, and, and the customer are all working collaboratively together. Some of our customers really want a razor sharp mobile app, so they don't want to be going to uh, white label anyone's where by definition you have an undifferentiated product. We have a, a huge team of web development agencies that have built on top of our APIs so that they can more quickly and more easily uh, produce high quality front ends for their customers whilst not having to work about work out how the back end components work. So it's really, it's quite a handheld process at the moment. As we grow, customers are increasingly able to self-serve, but right now it's a, it's a roll sleeves up and make sure we get the customer live. And how many people do you have and where are you based? And where are you focusing on these days? We are in total 27 across two main offices, one in London, headquartered in London, and we have our engineers, the vast majority of our engineers based in Istanbul. Okay, so that's clear. So. It feels like you obviously now are focusing on quite difficult integrations, right? That, that the providers, as you said, don't want to deal with. Now, how much do you rely on technology? What's your technology angle? Or for now, you just have more brilliant engineers than everybody else or more patient? So I guess the first thing we want to point out is the problem that we're solving it, the reason we tried to solve it is because we tripped over this when we launched our first when we launched our first fintech platforms, SettleGo. It's there's a lot about technology in highly regulated environments that it is you can't intuit the outcome of your labor. And what I mean by that is there's things that don't rationally make sense or technically make sense that you just have to abide by and you're not able to question because in, in extremely highly regulated environments there's one right way to do things and there's a million wrong ways to do things and inevitably when you're working on that kind of a probability basis you're going to do a lot of wrong things so what we learned while building our previous venture is what to do with client money what how to segregate revenues that we've made from client activity from residual balances that customers leave on account say overnight we've learned in which currency should I derive a revenue from if someone's converting pounds to, say, Vietnamese dong? We understand safeguarding sweeps. We understand all of the technical stuff that hopefully the, uh, the listeners are yawning at right now, because that's precisely what this is. It's the boring detail of how to build a fintech. We've only learned that because of doing it. And our engineers have done it at a previous venture. And now we're trying to democratize access to that learning for every single other customer. Would I say our engineers are brilliant? Yes, but the key reason that we're able to deliver this is because unlike most of the people in the market, we've been through this pain as operators. And it was death by a thousand cuts and all of that bloodletting at a previous venture is really being pulled together for the advantage of the next generation of entrepreneurs who want to launch FinTech. Understand. And also, let's not underestimate this and reemphasize again, it's financial services. Sometimes the fintech started at the edges, which were a bit lightly regulated. But as you need to expand your product portfolio sooner or later, you run into more and more regulations, right? So it sounds like you obviously have built a great business knowledge 
and industry knowledge as well where you can help. I think that's right. Not only to get the fintech launch, but also for them to stay, as you say, on the right side of the compliance and the regulation that's put in place to, to ultimately keep a user's money safe. If you're not from a financial services background, you're from a technology background, I would say the aspect of running a fintech from a compliance perspective might be hidden to you and might come as a shock once you're live. So people stay out of prison. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. Maybe all that's right. a success Understood. metric. <laughs> yeah, all right. So what are your plans for scaling up? You said you're based in the UK. How do you want to grow? I'd say there's three pillars to this. So we want this business to be a global network of providers. Currently, the providers that are connected are UK, Europe focused. Right now, we will get to the scale of having providers in every jurisdiction that fintechs are created. We want to increase the ability of our customers to customize the workflows that sit on top of those integrations that we provide. So instead of having completely fixed workflows for, say, taking fees from accounts, that could be completely customized. And the third thing is giving our customers a way to totally self-serve and set themselves up without integrated finances help in the first place. So self-service functionality of the platform would be the kind of the third pillar of getting to scale. I see. And how do you make money? You mentioned banking as a service. Maybe that's similar to a SaaS business, but you also help clients to integrate the solutions of different vendors. So that may also resemble consulting. So which model do you follow when you are a business, when you are building your business model? We are a software as a service business. You mentioned it. We charge a monthly subscription fee and a fee for the things that you connect to, but we don't charge by the transaction like a banking service would do. Okay. But once somebody is finished with the integration, then they can cancel the subscription or not? They can cancel no. the subscription, but they would need to be they, to continue to use the integration. They pay us on a monthly basis for that subscription. I see. All so, right. Yeah, just to be cool. super clear, the customer connects to our APIs, and then we aggregate the various tools that they need. Or if they're a very young fintech, we have an interface for non-technical people to use, which is basically a bunch of APIs whacked with a bunch of workflow automation on top that looks and smells a bit like a core. And that core will talk to the BAS provider or BAS providers of choice, or maybe digital onboarding and transaction monitoring tools of choice to have access to that platform and API. There's a monthly access fee. And then additionally, there's subscriptions to the number of things that you want that system to talk to. So you also have a solution for non-technical people. So that's great. That resembles, for example, Squarespace or WordPress these days, right? So you work with blocks. You don't need to do any sort of coding, correct? I think that's exactly right. We're, it's modular and you can pick and choose which bits of that you want as well. Yeah. yeah. When we were founding the company, we were really thinking, do we want to be API first, API only? The temptation is to go API only. Companies have a huge range of success there. But then we also looked at what our vision is. We're trying to increase the rate of innovation in the market. And where does innovation come from? It usually comes from the youngest startups that are trying to solve a problem that no one else is solving. We thought the younger a startup is, the less resource they're going to have to do stuff that the customer can't see. And therefore we went API 
first, but not API only. We also found that our most successful clients, the ones that have gone to API only, they were actually using our interfaces for six to 12 months. And the benefit of that is the customer service team, the operators, the finance team, the sales team, once they got to grips with how they like our system to work, they were able to give much better briefs to devs, whether their own internal devs or an outsourced development agency. Having had the experience of interacting with our system, they were able to make much more intelligent calls than if they were just all doing this based on theory. Right. And just coming back on that point, you said they need to keep on paying subscription if they want to use your integration. What about two, three years down the line, if for whatever reason they want to switch because they're so big now that maybe that integration is not suitable anymore because of the volu- sheer volume or and, or what have you? Can you not sure. then unplug it? Do, I, do you need to go back and start your business again? No. Sure. You can unplug any integration and re-plug in a new integration. For example, if you wanted to remove a banking as a service provider because you've scaled exponentially and now you have to go to one of the large global transactional banks, we also have those integrations on the marketplace. And you would simply unplug the banking as a service provider and plug in the transactional bank. Uh, From their perspective, from a customer's perspective, there would really be no difference. They just replace one API key with another API key and uh, services continue as usual. I see. Okay. All right. Understood. So before we go, just have two easy questions for you. First of all, what is your favorite business book or any other resource? I'll go broad if that's okay. So I think reading anything that was written by Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger is worth reading. They're both phenomenal communicators and the experiences that they can convey are worthwhile anybody not just that people outside business reading the other thing the other kind of author that i'd recommend to anyone again is broad but anything by nassim taleb all of his books are phenomenal and i think have actually shaped my thinking about being an entrepreneur in terms of how and when to take risks i see great and and i suppose for me I think one of my favorite ones was Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, founder and creator yeah. of Knight. Just to understand how close they, they were to going bust at almost every moment of the company's existence, purely because of Phil Knight's persistent insistence on growth and making sure every penny earned was a penny spent on growing the business, which effectively meant their runway was nil for the first six or seven years of their life. Just to see how he applied that pressure for the company to grow and look at it now, as well as interesting little tidbits that I would never have conceived of. I think one of one of the one of the comments from one of the guys in the executive team was everyone would roll their eyes when Phil would hire another exec because it was always either an accountant or a lawyer, and it could be head of marketing, head of sales. It didn't matter. It was always an accountant or a lawyer, and the reasoning was those are tough skills that require years of dedication for someone to attain. And just because someone's attained an accounting degree or a law degree should not pigeonhole them into adding that subset of skills value to a company. And that really opened my mind on who can be successful at what. So yeah, that would be mine. My other would be Lord of the Rings, but that's not relevant just because I love it. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Great stuff. So what's the best way to reach out for people and uh, what kind of people would you like to hear from most, whether that's uh, investors, clients, or potential employees? What are your priorities these days? We would like to hear from anyone who's thinking about starting a fintech 
However big or small, we would love to speak to them and see how we can help. We know that there are loads of fintech ideas that don't get built right now because of the fixed cost element of getting the thing live in the first place. And that's the problem we're tackling. We want to enable all of these ideas to be brought to life um, as quickly as possible. I would say anyone who's got an idea, the germ of an idea in their brain, please reach out and speak to us because we think we can help. All right, brilliant. And what's the best way to find you? You can go www.integrated.finance. You can find me and Al pretty easily on LinkedIn. Those would be the most simple ways to find us, I guess. All right, brilliant. So thank you so much. Good luck, Al and Dan and Integrated Finance. Thank you. So Thanks much, so much. Judy. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.